Hello, this is James Bradley. I am JB East out in Saigon in Vietnam. And I'm here with JB West, Jeff Brown out in Normandy. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing great, James. Thank you. Hey, we have a great guest today. She is Catherine Watt. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Catherine's up at 8 a.m., Catherine. Thank you. Two kids and a husband. And, and to help me, 8 p.m. here in Vietnam, Catherine uh, agreed to do this at 8 a.m., so thanks a lot, Catherine. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. So the reason we're talking to Catherine today is that since early 2020, Catherine has focused her considerable skills on COVID-19 issues, including legal framework investigations. Now, what's her background? Catherine earned a philosophy and natural sciences degree from Penn State in 1996. She has reporter chops. She was a reporter for a number of different newspapers. In 2003, she earned a paralegal certificate and has provided legal research and writing in constitutional law, civil rights, and environmental law. Catherine has published several independent journalism blogs. She's worked on local food, water, and energy security campaigns. And she founded Bailiwick News in 2016. Folks, we'll give you the URL at the end of this. I'll just say it right now, bailiwicknews.substack.com. Check in with Catherine Watt at bailiwicknews.substack.com. I'll spell it. Bailiwick News, B-A-I-L-I-W-I-C-K News. You're going to want to know about Catherine Watt. So, Catherine, can I tell you a story and then ask you two questions? Sure. Okay. Uh, I published a book called Flags of Our Fathers, and Newsweek magazine said Bradley writes on the level of a 17-year-old. And my family was, you know, uh, ups upset for me, and I said they got it right. You know, it took me five years to write the book. If I wrote on the level of a master's degree, it would take me about two years, you know? Uh, Kurt Vonnegut wrote uh, Slaughterhouse-Five. It took him 18 years. It's less than 200 pages. So my point is that, you know, to make it simple, I'm not, I'm not saying a 17-year-old isn't very bright. You were bright at 17, I was. But we have an international audience. We have Japanese, Vietnamese, French, you know, everybody listening to us. And so I, I'm, and I don't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not as educated as you. And I'd like to get two th simple things simply stated up front. Number one is why is this a bioweapon? If an 18 year old walked in here right now, how could I explain why this is a bioweapon, number one? And number two, how did they get this done? Now, let me say it in my civilian language. And then, and then you correct me, or let's just simplify this. So if somebody said to me, James, the, the COVID-19, uh, whatever it is, it's not a vaccine, but the COVID-19 vaccine is not a bioweapon, I would answer and say, yes, it is. Be the reason we know that is because the Defense Department, DARPA, says, uses the euphemism countermeasure for weapon. 
They don't say develop a laser weapon. They say develop a laser countermeasure. And in their paperwork, they said this was a bio countermeasure. Therefore, it is the COVID-19 injection is a uh, bio weapon. So what do you say to that, Kathy? I think that's right. I think a more accessible way to understand it might be um, observing what happened. Like, in some ways, we couldn't know it was a bioweapon right at the beginning because we hadn't seen all the adverse effects and deaths and neurological problems and fertility problems and um, autoimmune disorders, everything that has happened since. So I think the most persuasive argument is that even after it became clear that it was injuring and killing people, they did not end the program. They expanded the program to more and more people, to more and more injections. And that, to me, is the biggest evidence that the deaths and the injuries are intentional. And that's what makes it a bioweapon, in my view. Well, I have friends who say there aren't deaths, there aren't excess deaths and injuries. Well, <laughs> I'm Lawyer. not going to argue with them that they can't see it, they can't see it, but that's, okay. yeah. And then the other thing that you uh, described very well in, in uh, a few podcasts is the management, the, the, the uh, legal, what I call the understructure. So I'd say to the audience, imagine Washington, D.C. There's the White House. You can see the building. Down the street is Congress. There's the Supreme Court. And we imagine that that's our government. Well, let's go underneath and look at the plumbing. Like, let's literally go under the street and realize that Congress, over the last six years, and the executive branch kind of rewired the plumbing without us seeing. And they hooked up the Department of Health and Services, DHS, and they made DHS the emergency controller. So while we civilians look to the White House and to the Congress, leadership, it's actually they switched it to DHS so that the, the head of DHS is, a, uh, um, is an emergency dictator, and he has the emergency powers or she has the emergency powers to, uh, to get this all done. So that's my civilian take on that. What, what, how would you describe that? I would mostly agree. It's not DHS. DHS is Department of Homeland Security. It's HHS, which okay. is Department of Health and Human Services. But it's so, actually yes. as far as yeah, the sure. rewiring I think is correct. I don't. I think um, the more I learn about it and watch what they do and talk to other people who are looking at it too. I think the HHS secretary is the person who is set up as like the front man to look like the dictator. Well, he, he's not supposed to look like a dictator. He's supposed to look like he's doing a public health service. But um, it's actually, I, as far as I can tell now, more of a committee, people call it the deep state, people call it the administrative state, in which all of these different cabinet agencies and their upper leadership are 
coordinating activities across departments, across the HHS, across Homeland Security, across Department of Justice, across DOD. USDA, um, Department of Agriculture is key. Um, the Veterans Administration, all the way across, and they meet together in several different committees. The one that I think is most relevant is called the Public Health Emergencies Medical Countermeasures Enterprise. Can you repeat that? Uh, Public Health Emergency, P-H-E, Medical Countermeasures Enterprise. Wow. And it's, it's very similar to um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac as government-sponsored enterprises during the, um, the mortgage market, housing market meltdown and the great financial crisis in that this enterprise is quasi-public, quasi-private. It has some, some legal aspects of being public because most of the people on it are um, appointed cabinet secretaries or their undersecretaries. And it gets public funding, but it spends the money on private corporate contracts through pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer. Um, so I think, I think that's where the United States branch of what I see as a globalist criminal enterprise is coordinated in the United States on that committee, the PHEMCE. Um, and DOD and HHS are sort of probably the, the two um, co-chairs, let's say, of that committee. Okay. And then going back to the bioweapon, isn't is there not paperwork where DARPA says that you know we're creating a, a countermeasure, a biological countermeasure? Yes, that's there are contracts um, and there are guidance documents and there are regulations and you can track the word countermeasure in public health contexts, medical countermeasures qualified countermeasures, security countermeasures. They have a lot of different uh, modifier words to go with the word countermeasures. You can track that back to the late 90s, early 2000s um, in, in both uh, the public health law and also in military law. And it sort of jumps back and forth between those two. They refer to each other from one section to the, the other, um, which is part of how you can tell that it's a coordinated bioweapons program run mostly by HHS and DOD. Okay. So now I focused you on two questions and I'm gonna turn you over to Jeff. You guys are both brainiacs on bioweapons, but before I do, <laughs> If you, if you addressing our international audience, what would you like to tell them? What, what does Catherine Watt have to say about February 2023 and this whole uh, uh, COVID thing that we are involved in? I'll, I'll give you the floor. Um, I think that it looks much more impenetrable. Their power looks much more impenetrable or overwhelming than it actually is because so much of it depends on people believing lies to be true. And so the more you can see through the lies and see what's actually true, the less power they have over you and the more power you have to work with other people to 
push back against the programs that they're trying to put in place and the programs they have already put in place. Um, I can say more about that, but that's that's the basic message is that it's built on lies. It's and so it's made to look much much stronger than it actually is. So if if I'm listening to you for the first time and and hearing a, a message of hope, what what are my next steps? So so there is hope. It, it, it's a it, there's a bunch of lies. How do I begin to penetrate? I mean. Uh, Number one is to keep talking about it. Um, people have been talking about it for three years now, and through talking about it with each other is how we have figured out so many pieces of it. And that's why it was so important for them to do all the censorship and all the propaganda to confuse people and to put out false information and pretend it was true. And so continuing to talk, even when they try to get you to shut up, is, is I think, priority number one. And you could talk to anybody you can think of to talk to um, in any format, writing or speaking or whatever. And then beyond that, the other the other major piece of what the globalists need for their system to, to clamp down as hard as they want it to is for people to give up on their own national governments, which is easy to do because it looks like your national governments have completely betrayed you. Um, and elements of your national government have completely betrayed you, but I still think it's important to stick to your loyalty to your constitutions and to your the concept of having a, a national government that represents the people and protects the people in a nation state. Because the reason they need to undermine your loyalty to that is so they can bring in the one world government and tell you this is a solution to the problem that you have with your terrible corrupt government, when in fact they are the entity that has corrupted your national government and they cannot fix it. They cannot and they do not want to make it any better or more responsive to you or more protective of you than it is. So you have to be on the other side saying, no, World Health Organization, get out. World Economic Forum, get out. United Nations, get out. We do not want your one world government. We want our own national government back in our own hands. And it, what's the end of the road of the hope? I mean, is there gonna be a Nuremberg 2.0? It's so confusing because I can talk to you and, and people in your field and gee, you know, this is a bioweapon and it's killing people and it's gotta end. And then I look at New Zealand and they're, you know, injecting babies in America. You know, you look at the media and everything's fine. You know, get your booster and and uh, uh, Australia's on, on their fifth one. What is happening in, in the world? Are we any closer to any uh, uh, accountability? I think we're closer think we're than close we were, but... Um there's no way to know how long it's going to take. It's already taken much longer than anybody thought it would. It's like, I know when it started happening back in 2020, I thought, wow, something is going to, something about our constitution, something about our Congress, something about people's own interest in living their own lives is going to push back on this and make it stop. And that has not happened yet. But the momentum and the number of people who are really concerned about it and learning much more about it is bigger now than it was three years ago, and it's getting bigger every day. It's not shrinking. It's not like people on our side are suddenly saying, oh, you know what? I was totally wrong. 
that's not happening. More people on the other side are saying, wow, I can't believe it. Now I have some idea of what's going on. So it is moving in the right direction. It's just moving extremely slowly and nobody has any way of knowing what that final straw is gonna be and when that final straw is going to get on the camel's back and and make it make it tip. Um, so that's that the project as I see it is just to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing in that direction without knowing when it's gonna push through through the wall. Okay. Yeah. You um, turn it over to you. I agree with you. The 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 the, the one world government uh, thing is a huge part of it. And this, I mean, this goes back to, this goes back to, you know, Malthus and their depopulation agenda all through the 19th century and in, in the 20th century. And uh, the, I mean, the, the, the elite, so this has not changed for 200 years. Uh, and uh, uh, the, what, what really, I, I, I feel like the, the Seymour Hearst just came out with this incredible investigation about the Nord Stream 2 uh, ter uh, terrorist attack and clearly, clearly, clearly showed that it was the United States, it's Biden, and who personally ordered it. And yet, I can tell you that if you probably ask 10 Americans and 10 Europeans where I am about it, they've never heard of it. And, and, and I think that's the that's to me the if they they control the media now so much and um that's that's my biggest concern i call it the big lie propaganda machine and it is so ruthlessly effective by you know censorship and and just fault you know you know black i'm sorry psyops you know fake news do you have any do you, do you have any comments about how we can kind of overcome that catherine because to me, that's the biggest hurdle. I mean, if we had an, a really, truly free press, everybody would be informed, but they aren't. Right. Um, I mean, my basic answer is just perseverance and persistence and keep going. Um, yeah. It's not up to us how fast it unfolds. I think that's up to God. It's our job to give him the material he needs to work with to push it forward at the pace that he wants it to be. We do have the independent media. Like that's why that's why awareness is growing because of the independent platforms like yours and like well, you know all the independent platforms, um, the podcasts and things like that. And those are small, some of them. They have like smaller audiences, but in the aggregate, they reach a lot of people. Those people talk to other people. I think I think also the way the the mainstream media portrays itself as being widely viewed as credible is false. I think most people, even if they watch it, watch it thinking this is garbage and don't trust it. Um, and, and the useful thing is that as long as they need the internet to do their money-making and to do their own corrupt, the globalists I'm talking about, as long as they need the internet to be functioning to do the stuff that they want it to do, some parts of it are still available to independent journalists and people who want to talk about information in an accurate, true way. And so I do think at some point they're going to they're gonna shut it down and do like the cyber attack or whatever. But I also think they're going to try to get it back up on the other side. And we will still have to just be persistent and keep going. Mm -hmm. 
I, uh, I, I um, just recently restarted using Twitter now that Elon Musk has bought it. There's a lot more freedom, a lot more information on on Twitter right now about COVID. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting posts up that would have been censored by uh, by the previous, uh, you know, deep state uh, uh, management team. So that is a an area to really look into. And as both you and James and I can attest, for the time being, fingers crossed. Substack is an incredible platform. I mean, it is an amazing platform. There are so many amazing people on that platform who are just reporting and reporting and reporting. And it's just, it's amazing. And I, and I, I understand they have some kind of a peer-to-peer ownership to keep it diluted and, and to keep the deep state out of it. But right now, I think Twitter and, and Substack are, are really uh, the two places to, uh, to help get informed. And then, uh, you know, James and I's, you know, our show, uh, I I'm the curator of the Bioweapon Truth Commission and its online library. The information's out there. And, uh, and uh, so uh, it's just trying to inspire people to, you know, quit, you know, to turn off M- 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 MSNBC and, BBC and quit reading the Washington Post and the New York Times and 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 expand their horizons some. I guess that's my biggest encouragement to all the people out there that are listening. C- Catherine's doing an incredible work, and uh, and I and James and I are really happy to be able to uh, to promote her efforts. So, uh, can I ask you one more question, Catherine? Sure. One thing that just amazes me, uh, Jane, I'm, I'm producing changes in my last show. Uh, it's about the the about uh, the connections between the JFK assassination, Richard Nixon being being pushed out of office, and uh, the Trump, the whole Trump fiasco of him being cheated out of the 2020 election and the January 6th false flag done by his enemies. And what really, and James has done an incredible amount on, on this. And what's impressive is the number of people that are involved in these things. You know, he was talking about just in the, just for the JFK assassination, 200 people over the decades have been assassinated for speaking up. And, and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, you know, Anthony Fauci at NIH and, giving Ralph Barrick the COVID uh, virus, and he weaponized it, and Peter Daszak at Echo Health Alliance, you know, he, you know, spends tens of millions of dollars, you know, you know, giving it to universities and elsewhere. So many people are involved, and, and it's just how... How do they? How do they? How do they do? Or is it these inter, inter interdepartmental meetings? I mean, did Fauci get together with the, with you know, with the groups that you, with HHS with HHS and and DOD, or did they do it by email? Or how how did you how did you see this happening? It's amazing, and there must be a thousands of people involved. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's incentive structures. I think there are people who know what the overall program is and they know how to motivate other people to 
to go along with it. Um, and part, I think that's a main reason why they did the sort of conversion of it that I write about sort of, it was a DOD program, it was the chemical and biological warfare program. And then they transferred it and relabeled it to be the um, public health emergencies, medical countermeasures program. And there are a lot of people who really do believe that what they're doing is a public health service because it hasn't been as clear as it is now until COVID came and then they did the, um, the forced injections and the adverse effects and covering up the adverse effects and deaths and refusing to stop the program. All the things that I think make it very clear that it's a bioweapons program and not a public health. But up until that happened and we could see it happening in real time, it was very, very difficult to see. You could, you could very easily go along with it and say, sure, H1N1 is an outbreak of a communicable disease. And wow, it's so great. They have come up with a vaccine and they're offering it to us. And that was, that was the thing. They did it incrementally. Like it was first, in, so with 2003, the first SARS, it was like, oh, there, here's a communicable outbreak. We should all be worried because this is global or whatever. That was a lie. We should not be worried because it's just a, an ordinary whatever. Um, cold basically and then they add pieces each time so the next time with h1n1 in 2009 they were like oh there's this global outbreak now we have a vaccine and we suggest that you take it and a lot of people did because it still looked like it was a benevolent program when they got to 2020 and covid and they did the lockdowns and they did the mask mandates and then they did the bioweapon mandates it became much more clear that th there is nothing benevolent about this um, but it, it's, it's much easier to keep people going along with the program if they think they're actually doing a good thing. And now that people are figuring out they were not doing a good thing, they were doing a really, really bad thing, it, it, changes, it changes the dynamics. Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of there, there's probably a lot of compartmentalization and, yes. you know, but I do think Fauci knew. I think so Fauci this person doesn't know what this Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, he he was the one that gave uh, Ralph Barrick the coronavirus to weaponize it at the University of North Carolina, you know, Chapel Hill. So. Well, I just wanted to say Fauci has been in position in in the Health and Human Services since the late 1960s when the whole program started. So he was right there. He was right there to manage the AIDS outbreaks. Okay. He was right there to manage the swine flu um, in 1976. So he he has been at the center of it since the very beginning in, in the late 60s. Catherine? Yeah. I, so, you know, I'm in Vietnam and have not been in the States for uh, a number of years. And listening to you, it sounds like, you know, people are becoming aware, you're using words like vaccine damage and, uh, and uh, you know, growing awareness. Well, I have a friend who's on the board of directors of a major clinic in the Midwest. And how is it possible that a civilian board of directors, you know, bankers, lawyers, people from all walks of life, not just doctors, that there's a board and then underneath that board, there's administrators, you know, a major clinic. There's many doctors and nurses in this clinic 
and they have been administering a bioweapon for three years. So how is that possible that there's not a demonstration, that no one's throwing eggs at the window, that the board is allowing this to happen? I mean, how do you get hundreds of people in an institution? They must be hearing the feedback that you're talking about. You incentivize them. You tell them that they're, you tell them and you demonstrate to them that if they cooperate, they will continue to get funding. They will continue to have jobs. They can continue to be the leaders of this type of organization. And if they do not cooperate, they will be cut off for money in their personal and their professional um, contexts. They will lose their businesses. They will lose their homes. Their marriages will fall apart. You, it's a carrot and a stick, and it's extremely effective. And it runs from the very, very top for the bank from for international settlements holding that carrot and stick part like system over each national government and each central bank of of each government, and then the central banks and the national governments hold it over the state governments. And the state governments hold it over the counties and the counties hold it over the towns and the school boards and the hospitals. And then they hold it over people who work at all of those organizations and it it's very effective. Well, I wanted to say that is a brilliant and succinct answer and I appreciate you going all the way up to the BIS. Not many people do that in, in, you know, in this field talking about COVID talking about the financial uh, motivations mm -hmm. and if the audience doesn't know what BIS is, they should read uh, uh, Tower of uh, Basel. Tower of Basel, I think, is the name of the book. Adam and, Labor. Yeah, and I just, I really admire what you just said. And I'd like to say to the audience, this is Catherine Watt, and look her up at baileywicknews.substack.com. Bailey Wick News is spelled B Bail I Wick News. Okay, yeah. Catherine, thank you so much. This is JB East signing off. I, I, I yeah, I said thank you very much. I, this is JB West uh, signing out from Normandy. Thank you. Okay, Catherine, thank you so much. That was brilliant.